Hey everyone, it's been a while. Uh, welcome to the Daily Cyber. This is episode number 253. Today I have Dr. Eric Cole on again. We're going to be talking about a lot of things when it comes to cybersecurity, CISO, uh, some exciting things that he's got going on as well. Uh, get you set up really kind of for the new year and everything that we got covered. So what I want you to do is guys grab a coffee, grab a tea and grab a notepad. He's going to be taking a lot of notes. And so let's hack at it. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, USADO. USADO is a Canadian-based cybersecurity company that provides 24-7 cybersecurity support and compliance service that align their customers' tolerance for risk, their clients, suppliers, and government contractual mandates. USADO's teams focus on using insights to drive business decisions. There's no need to leave strategies to chance when insights can be used to show what changes need to be made and how to make them. USADO offers multiple services to help companies simplify IT, centralize cybersecurity management, and meet compliance standards. USADO can customize their service to work with your existing IT network and programs. For more information, contact USADO at info at uzado.com or visit their website at www.uzado.com. Awesome, guys. This is going to be an amazing show. I just want to give you a little intro to Dr. Cole. With more than 30 years of network security experience, Dr. Eric Cole is a distinguished cybersecurity expert and a keynote speaker who helps organizations curtail their risk of cybersecurity threats. Dr. Cole has worked with various of clients uh, ranging from the Fortune 500 companies to top international banks to the CIA. He has been the, the feature speaker of many security events and also has been interviewed by several chief media outlets such as CNN, CBS News, Fox News, and 60 Minutes. So we're going to have him on in just a few minutes. Uh, a little housekeeping uh, thing for you guys. Uh, first, I want to thank Neil and the cybersecurity uh, cyber insecurity network for us to be on here to share this information with you guys to help you grow. Uh, make sure you ask lots of questions. We're going to have the moderators there uh, sending questions to me to let let you you know engage with Dr. Cole, answer a lot of questions about cybersecurity, what you're doing in the industry, you know what it takes to be a CISO. So make sure you ask lots of questions there. Uh, we're actually going to have a little bit of a giveaway too. Uh, Dr. Cole has a special giveaway that we're going to be talking about in the in this interview as well. So. Uh, let's get them in, let's start talking and let's kind of get you guys a lot of great information about what's going on with cybersecurity. Hey, Dr. Cole, how's it going? Great, Brandon. How's it going? Should I give a little hint for the giveaway? We'll give a little hint there. <laughs> there, there you go. Launch it right away, right? There's, there's going to be a book giveaway coming soon. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I mean, you've been doing a lot of things, you know, since we last spoke. Yeah, I, I've been super busy. So uh, one thing is, I, I've been doing a lot of work on why are organizations really getting breached? And for the last three to four years, I always gave technical answers. And the technical answers are correct. They don't have asset inventory, they're missing patches, internet facing systems contain critical data. But what I realized is it's really that lack of leadership and there's really no one focused on true CISO training and certification. So I launched, it just went live yesterday. We had a great coaching call where a CISO cert. I also uh, finished my book. These are pre-release copies and they come out in May. So just uh, super busy getting ready for a new year and hoping this year's a little less crazy than last year. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we only can hope right now going through the pandemic and everything that happened, yeah. right? So let's first ask you this. So if you're breaking into the cybersecurity industry right now, you know, can someone starting out look towards a career to be a CISO or is this something that is out of their reach? Now, I, I think one of the big misconceptions, and in my opinion, it's a mistake that we've made, is a CISO is a promotional path for somebody who's been in cybersecurity for 12 to 15 years. And to me, that could be so far from the truth. The worst CISOs on the planet are world-class security engineers. They, okay. Their purpose in life is to be technical. They love technical. And when you put them in a CISO role, you are taking the fish out of water and it just doesn't work. So to me, there's two career tracks. Now, both of them require three, four years of general cybersecurity knowledge. But to me, after three to five years, you're either going to be strategic and focus on the business and understand the business of how you can make security a business enabler, or you stay technical and you go into forensics, uh, threat hunting, pen testing, any of those. But to me, they are two separate career tracks. And when you do this and make them the same, that's when it gets really dangerous. Okay. So if I was starting out, what would your recommendations, if I was going to come use net new, I want to get into the cybersecurity industry, where should I start out with to get to that role of being a CISO? First, you want to get in a company where you can start understanding the technology. So entry-level jobs uh, in a SOC, a security operations center, that's great because you want to understand the general threats. You want to understand what's happening from an attack perspective, need to understand the language. Because remember, a CISO is a translator. You speak technical, you speak business, and then you translate back and forth. But here's the piece that so many people miss is once you're at a company for one or two years, I would start, if you want to be a CISO, I would start reaching out to the COO, the CFO, the chief legal counsel and say, listen, would you be willing to mentor me? I know you're real busy, but I just want 30 minutes a month. I'll take you to coffee. We'll go to the lunch. We'll, we'll grab a drink after work. But I would just like to have you mentor me a little bit on understanding the business, learn more about the business, and just learn how business works and operates. And you would be amazed. Most junior level folks are like, oh, they would never listen to me. They want to talk to me, but you would be shocked. Most of them love to help people. When I get those emails, I love to help folks because people helped me and they want to help you. So to me, start asking for mentorship within the first year. Okay. And what would be the, like, what would be the expectation? So I go meet with the CFO. What would be my expectations of a newbie to kind of learn from the CFO? Are we looking profit and loss? Am I looking at bank statements? Like what am I expecting to learn from them? It's really to understand business and how business works and operates. So if you have a perfect scenario, I would start with the COO. Okay. And the question I would ask the COO is, what business are we really in? How does our organization make money? How do we go in and differentiate from the competition? What are key things that you focus on and worry about? What are the metrics that you track and look at? And then after you get mentored from the COO a few months, I would then switch to chief legal counsel and I would ask them, what is the viewpoint that a lawyer has of the company? Sort of what are the legality issues that you're concerned about? What are the things that you're worried that you make sure you minimize or reduce? And then the last person you want to meet up with is that CFO. 
and you want to just ask them, hey, could we take a look at a balance sheet? I'm just curious of, of what is on a balance sheet. How do you read that? How do you determine security budgets? How do you determine how much should be spent? And what you're really doing is just understanding the mindset of somebody who has a C in their title. Because anybody that charts with a chief, whether it's chief operating officer, chief financial officer, chief legal counsel, or chief information security officer, the chief means you have to have a general understanding of how the business works and operates. And that's what you're trying to get out of that initial mentorship. Okay. So that's why I was going to go back to the original question. You, you, you made a comment that we need to know the, the business that the organization's in. Why is that important? Because ultimately, anything in a company, including cybersecurity, is to support and enable the business. And right. this is one thing that a lot of security engineers miss. And I'll give you right now the golden rule. The golden rule of cybersecurity is this. If cybersecurity negatively impacts the business, cybersecurity is wrong. And this is something that a lot of folks getting in the field two, three, four years, they don't understand to go, but Eric, this decision needs to be made. This is too big a risk and we cannot do this. And I go, does it hurt the business? And they go, well, I don't know. Well, I'm like, well, it financially impacts the business. So it hurts the business. It's wrong. And they're like, but Eric, it's not wrong. And I'm like, yes, it is because cybersecurity is not about being 100% secure, it's enabling the business to be as successful as possible. Uh, and I think that's a key point. That I want to emphasize that it's because it's so important that we think of it in that way because us IT guys, cybersecurity guys put on our hat and go, this is the best technology. This is the most innovation. We have to have two-factor th two authentication. We need to have you know vulnerability scanning. We need to have this, 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 and this. But like you said, I think it's so important is, does it affect the business? Right? Does it impact it? Does it make it an enabler and, and help them grow? Or does it, you know, decrease the actual growth and revenue and every, everything on the, along that line, which I think you're saying is the CISO's role. There's responsibility. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's what the CISO needs to do. But to me, it's really the job of anybody who works in security. So when I used to be a CISO, what I would do with my security engineers is if they were going to advise on a project, say for sales and marketing. I would contact the vice president of sales and marketing and say, listen, can my person sit in on your weekly staff meetings for three weeks? Because I wanted that engineer to understand how a sales and marketing organization works and operates. So now when they're advising on security, they're understanding what they're doing. Because to me, one of the mistakes that I see happen all the time is this idea of cookie cutter security. I'm not a fan of a lot of these frameworks where you just take this framework. Oh, are you a bank? Boom. Are you healthcare? Boom. Are you cybersecurity needs to be customized to the organization and unique to the challenges that that organization or business unit is facing. So to me, the really successful cybersecurity people, whether they're engineers or the ones that become CISOs, are the ones that come up with custom, unique solutions. They understand the business first. And then they implement effective security measures second. Most people do it backwards. They implement security first. They see what breaks and then they try to fix it after the fact. Okay. And I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, bringing up that point, right? That, you know, when you're looking at the different technologies and different solutions and things that are, people are implementing, sometimes it's a backwards th a methodology or even thought process. 
Exactly. And, and, and one of the simple rules that I always follow and I always train people on because it helps sort of align is before you spend an hour of your time or a dollar of your budget on anything in the name of security, you always want to be able to answer three questions. What is the risk to the organization mm-hmm. that you're trying to reduce? Is it the highest priority risk? And is your solution the most cost-effective way of reducing it? Because I find a lot of folks, I went to an organization recently and they're like, Eric, we need 600K to implement this new AI solution. And nobody in the business is looking to us. And I go, well, what risk are you trying to reduce? They're like, Eric, what are you talking about? This is a big problem. You know that AI can help. And I'm like, yes, but what is the risk you're trying to reduce? And I'm like, but, but, but Eric, you're missing the point. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. The reason why executives aren't listening to you is because you get emotional. Another right. rule that I always train security people on is let data drive decisions, not emotions. I'll tell you right now, if you want to convince any executive to give you money, it's the easiest trick on the planet. It's four things. Here's the risk. Here's the likelihood of it occurring. Here's the cost if it occurs, and here's the cost to fix it. I'll tell you right now, if I go to any executive and I say, okay, there's a risk that has a 95% chance of occurring, and when it occurs, it's going to cost you $20 million, and I want 200 k to fix it, I always get the 200 k mm-hmm. because it's a brainer. Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Spend 200K to stop a $20 million risk that has a 92% chance of occurring, but we don't present it that way. We right. often go in, things are bad, things are tough, blah, blah, and we get all this emotion and everything else. And that's why executives aren't paying attention. All they care about is dollars. And if we present things in that manner, we win. And then here's the illuminating part I had somebody who goes, Eric, what if I have a risk that only has a 5% chance of occurring? If it occurs, it will cost the organization 100K and I want 200K to fix it. And I said, first of all, if you present that to the executives, you're going to get kicked out of the office because it's stupid. You accept that risk. Oh, no, but Eric, no, there's some risks you have to accept. If there's a risk that only has a 5% chance of occurring and it costs more to fix it, then if it happens, you accept it and you don't present the risk. But that's the problem. We forget that cybersecurity is about risk management. And as soon as that happens, that's when security people and organizations get into trouble. No, totally, totally true. So we've got a couple of questions coming in here. Uh, anger, anger, angry, a Moby. Uh, so what would you suggest doing if your chief, uh, if your chiefs are in the different state, go uh, virtual or try to uh, mentorship over email. So I think for his question is if you're C suites, you know, remote, how would you actually now start to get a mentorship? Is that, you know, go virtual through email? So, so first, and, and once again, if you don't ask, the answer is no. If you ask, it still might be no. I would offer to travel to them. Okay. Uh, I, I would say, listen, I, I'm really interested in understanding more about the business and how it operates. I'm not sure how you work, but listen, I would love to. Uh, fly out on a Thursday or a Friday. I'm not sure uh, if you have a family or what you're doing, but but I'd love if you want to grab dinner on a Friday night or Saturday afternoon, or you'd like to play golf. I'd love, I'd love to fly to you and see if we can spend some time together. Throw it out there because what it does, it shows your interest and you're willing to invest in yourself. 
Now, if they come back and say, well, no, I can't do that or COVID or other concerns, then set up a Zoom call where you're doing video. But I would say I would stay away from phone and I would stay away from email or anything else. You want to build a relationship. You want to look them in the eyes, even if it's virtual, and you want to do that. So I would always offer to fly to them and then see if you can set up a Zoom call. And those would really be the only two options if you want to get effective mentorship. Okay, perfect. Now, Bug's asking a question. If someone is interested in being a CISO, do you recommend taking some college-level business uh, classes to develop that skill set? It never hurts to have some business knowledge, some business training, some business classes. I didn't even realize it at the time, but when I went to school a long time ago in a land far, far away, I majored in computer science and I minored in business. So having that business background works, but I will tell you this. If you want to get a CISO job, it doesn't matter what's on your resume. It doesn't matter where you graduated. It doesn't matter what certifications you have. What matters is the three-minute conversation you're going to have during the interview with the CEO or COO. You're probably going to start with a COO first. Now, if that three-minute interview is this, thank you so much for your time. I researched the company and I noticed that the organization made $45 million last year, and that was a 30% increase from the previous year. And I noticed that we have a market cap of $2 billion. So I believe with the proper automation and cybersecurity that I think we can actually help grow that by almost 40% and increase our margins overall. And I recognize that our three top competitors are X, Y, and Z. If that's your answer, you got the job. Here's the problem. Most folks, when they go in for that interview, they go back to what they know. They don't have the confidence and they go in there and say, oh yeah, I'm, I know cyber architecture really well and I understand firewalls and IDSs and I'll make sure that we reduce the false positives as much as you're done. Right. So the, the point is because CISO is a new area and there is such a huge need, what companies want from a CISO is they want somebody they can talk to. If I'm a CEO or COO, what I want with the CISO is somebody who can come in my office, speak English, understand the business, and help us be successful. So if you walk in where you did your homework and somebody might go, but Eric, there's no possible way I can find out how much the company makes. Really? Do you realize every publicly traded company has to file with the SEC and that information is public? Do you realize many private companies, over 75 million, actually have that information out there? You do a little research and you can find that data. But if you go in and you're speaking business, it doesn't matter what's on your resume or where you went to school, you'll get the job. On the other hand, if you're speaking technical, it doesn't matter if you have a Harvard MBA, you're not going to get the job because you can't relate to the person you're communicating with. Hmm, very interesting. So from what I'm getting from that is that when you go on there, you weren't talking about cybersecurity. You were talking about protecting the profits, increasing revenues, looking at their industry, what you know, their competitors. You were looking really at that versus putting on your security hat saying, I know your technologies, I know your infrastructure, I know your firewalls that you have, I know, you know, your risk, your vulnerabilities. You weren't having that conversation. You were actually having that, the previous is the business conversation. Exactly, because a CISO is a split personality. There's the technical side, which the technical folks talk about. If you're going to be a CISO at an organization, they will probably have you interview 
with the security manager or the security staff or the other folks. That's when you geek out. That's when you show them that you can hold their ground and you can communicate with them. But if you're talking to a CEO or a COO, they assume you have that. They assume you can translate that. They don't care. That's why you're there. What they care about is can you speak their language, understand the business, and do things to help the business. So they're assuming somebody else is going to vet you on the cybersecurity, and you're going to go in and be able to speak that language. All they care about is are you going to enable and help the business? So then stepping back, you're saying that that's why you need at least three years in, in the actual trenches to understand the, the cybersecurity technology, solutions, vulnerabilities, risks, you know, implementation, then that next level now start to work towards a CISO. Exactly, because the role of a CISO is you're really a translator or in a lot of cases, a marriage counselor. Because if you look in most companies, the security people hate the executives because they don't think they listen or understand. And the executives hate the security people because they don't think they speak English. So your job as a CISO is, I'm going to go in in the morning and I'm going to put on my tech hat and I'm going to sit with my security team and I'm going to say, okay, do we have 100% asset inventory for our internet-facing systems? Are our systems fully patched? Do our systems contain critical data? And they're going to come out and say, and they're going to say yes. So I'm like, great. So we have a pretty big exposure point with this. So do we need a DLP solution in order to do that? Or should we put a SIM in place in order to protect that? And I'll get all that solution. So I'll get all that done. Then watch what happens. I walk across the building and I switch hats. And when I walk into the executives, here's all I say. We have a current risk to our organization that has impacted five of our competitors and have cost all the competitors over $40 million. This, in my best professional opinion, has a 90% chance of occurring and will most likely cost us 15 to $20 million if it occurs. And I need 400K to fix it. Now, I never mention any of the technical stuff that I did because they don't care, but all that analysis was based on the technical knowledge I had with my team earlier in the day. And that's the translation piece. If you can figure that out, you will be able to demand salaries and, and get whatever amount of money you want because that's the skill set of a CISO and very few people understand or have it. Wow. Now I have another question here for you. Uh, how do I figure out if the position is interesting for me? I study now for the technical side, but maybe this is something for me, but I don't even have a cybersecurity job. What would be your recommendation from there for them? So, so two things. One is I'll give you a real easy quiz. So easy quiz. You're sitting at your desk. You are, you are in cybersecurity. So for the person who asked the question, assume you're in security. All of a sudden you're sitting at your desk and your phone goes off. There's a major breach in your organization and 30 million records have been compromised from the database. What do you do? If your answer or inclination is, I'm gonna run into the data center and start going on the database server and see what's happening, or if you work remote, I'm gonna start logging into systems and seeing what's happening and what's occurring, and I wanna figure out and solve the problem, then you're most likely a world-class security engineer. I would not recommend you become a CISO. Mm -hmm. If, however, your answer to that question was, I would immediately mobilize my team, 
I would start tasking them to look at the different systems and servers. I would immediately call up the CEO and say, we have a breach. I'm determining the extent of the damage and I'll get back to you in 60 minutes. Then you probably will be a world-class CISO. So the first thing you need to figure out is which of those two sound exciting? Is it the technical or is it the strategic? And then that's going to dictate where you go and how you operate. Next part of your question was, how do you get started? Mm -hmm. The best thing to do is start volunteering. Do you know anybody who has a business or knows anyone who has a business and start asking them, hey, can I start helping you out with cybersecurity? Here's the agreement. I'll give you five hours a week. I won't charge you. But what I want to do is I want to say that I'm your security officer and you have to agree that you'll take two reference calls a month referencing, sorry, uh, giving a reference for me for potential jobs that are out there. And once again, it can be simple. One of my friends got started because he knew somebody who had three uh, Jersey Mike substores. Well, okay. guess what? Jersey Mike has computers. They have systems. They have email and they were getting hacked. So he went in and he started providing free security services for them. And then he started going out and he started saying that he provides CISO services for retail organizations. And he has a reference. And within six months, he has three paying clients. And I think he's making about 15 or 20K a month on retainer contracts. So don't worry about the money get the experience, focus on the experience, go in and start volunteering, go door to door. Well, I know now with the epidemic, it's a little harder, but start contacting your local dentist office and say, hey, I know your local dentist, you can't afford a lot, but cybersecurity is a concern to you. I'll do five hours free a week for that same agreement and just start putting yourself out there, getting exposure. And then the other big thing is build a presence on LinkedIn. When it comes to professional cybersecurity, stay away from Facebook and Instagram. I mean, I, I, I joke, unless you're looking for a mail order bride or groom, don't go on Instagram. I mean, uh, that, that, that's all we get on our Instagram accounts. And Facebook is way too political. Instagram, sorry, LinkedIn is where it's at. So start following some other CISOs. Following what I'm doing, uh, just search on CISO and start looking at other CISOs out there. Follow what Brandon's putting out there and then start creating some of your own content. Start creating one or two minute videos and start building a presence on LinkedIn, building up references. You do those two things. It might be three months, it might be six months, it might be nine months, but no guarantees in life. But there's almost a guarantee you're going to start getting work and start getting business. Right. Makes sense. I mean, like, you know, there's so much a demand out there for people that need qualified people and need help. Now I got another question here. Hi, I'm from Belgium. It's, uh, um, um, uh, Mertzen. If I, I don't know if I said that wrong, but he goes, hi, I'm from Belgium. Besides the quality of tra uh, translate technical talk and commercials, uh, talk during meetings and so on, what is your daily routine during a workday on, and on what are you working on? So first what's your kind of Dr. Cole, what's your daily routine? Uh, so my, my, my daily routine, and uh, once again, don't judge me, but it works for me, is I typically wake up around 4.30 or 5 o'clock. I, I believe in sleep. I am not one of those folks that think you do three, four, or five hours sleep. I have learned that your body and your brain need to be well-rested. And the other thing is I don't wake up with an alarm clock. I wake up when the body's ready, and here's why. When, when you're sleeping, 
your mind goes through a process where it pulls out toxins, it then cleans out the toxins. If you're in the middle of that process where the toxins are flushed, uh, sorry, are clean, but they haven't been flushed and your alarm clock goes off, all that stuff is still in your brain. And you might've seen this where you sometimes wake up where you think you got a good night's sleep and you're sluggish the entire day. It's because you didn't finish the sleep cycle. So I'll usually go to bed somewhere between nine or 10 and then I'll wake up when I wake up. Now, if I have meetings or appointments, I will send an alarm. But in the last six months, I haven't sent an alarm and I naturally wake up between 4.30 and five in the morning. And then the first thing I'll do when I get out of bed is I'll take out a journal. I actually use Remarkable. It's a, it's a digital journal, but I'll go in and I'll set my intentions for the day. What would make today a great day? What are the two or three things that I want to accomplish today that would make today a solid day? I then go right to the gym and I work out for typically 45 minutes with heavy weights, followed by 15 minutes of cardio. I then come home uh, and I have a sauna because of COVID. They all got shut down. I do sauna for 30 minutes and I meditate in the sauna. I then shower real quick. I eat a really nice breakfast, uh, eggs, protein, or acai energy bowl with some fruit. And then I'm starting my day by about 7.30. And what I do is I go in and I start producing content. So whether it's writing an op-ed for the New York Journal, whether it's coming in my studio and producing videos, whether it's going in and contacting, and I'll do that for about an hour and a half where I'll produce content. And then by about nine o'clock, I'll usually have some meetings with my staff where we'll go over the day, what everyone's working on till about 10 o'clock. Then I'll go in and every day I contact a colleague that I haven't talked to in a while, a business associate or an executive, just to see how they're doing, what they're working on. And then from 11 to 1230 is a production block where I actually work on client deliverables. I work on proposals. I work on work. I'll then from one o'clock till about three o'clock, I'll take meetings, take calls with clients, do business development. Then from three to 4.30, I do another work block and then I'll finish up the day, put out fires, and then usually get home by about 6.30 or seven. So if you look at my day, I only have three hours in which I'm really doing hardcore work. But here's the interesting part. I've tried everything else. I've gotten up at five in the morning. I haven't done the gym and I've worked for 12 hour days and get four hours sleep. And I'm less productive than when I'm very focused and aligned and deliberate. And to me, here's the trick. If you look at my calendar for this week, I am completely booked. Mm -hmm. I actually schedule my gym. I schedule when I'm going to eat. I because here's the interesting part. If your schedule, you do it. If you have a doctor's appointment, you go. But if you have a block in your schedule and you don't have anything planned, you postpone, you walk around, you talk to people and you waste time. So I'm a big fan that you schedule out your entire day, be deliberate, and you would be amazed of how productive you could be. That's awesome. I mean, it's funny too. Successful people like yourself to always talk about they do things for themselves first in the day, right yeah. when they get up. And you were talking about like working out, meditating, you know, doing your videos, you did all that chunk of work first for you, and then you went into your actual work day. Yep, and 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 yeah, that, that it's the whole put your oxygen mask on first, right? Like they do on airplanes. I need to be healthy and in a good state. And, and I will tell you this: those first two to three hours are non-negotiables. 
Uh, seven days a week, I'm in the gym. I do not miss a day. Those are non-negotiables because I know that when I miss workouts and I miss meditations and I miss that, I'm not as productive. I'm not as focused and I do not get as much done. And that's the amazing thing. You would think it's the opposite. You're spending two and a half to three hours on yourself that you're not doing work. But if you actually work during that period, you'd be so less productive. It's right. all, to me, I'm all about optimization and being productive and taking care of myself first as opposed to anything else. And just tying off what you said, the other part about it is you get one body. Mm -hmm. If this isn't optimal, you can't do what you want to do. So I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but if you're overweight and eating pizza and McDonald's uh, for meals every day and you're sluggish and you're not feeling good, there's no possible way you can be optimal in what you're doing as a security officer. So to me, I got, this has to be perfect. The, I, even though I'm 51, this has to operate like a 30 year old so I could push myself and do everything that I want to do during the day. Well, also the level of stress, right? Because I yep. mean, when there's an outage, when there's a breach, I mean, a lot of pressure is on people like yourself to now answer the questions, get the strategies going, you know, make sure everything is, you know, being remediated. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. And I think I want to go back to that first original question is like, you know, how do I know if I want to do this job? Also is your level of stress that you're able to take on because CISO's jobs are not easy. It's not like you just go and walk in a boardroom and go, oh, here's a strategy. We're going to make some profits. Okay, good luck. You know, I'm going to go for lunch now. It's not that <laughs> mindset, right? It's There's a lot of work and there's a lot of pressure on CISOs to, to deliver. And it's looking after the business too, right? Exactly. And it really comes down to what you really enjoy doing. If you don't enjoy doing that, you're going to burn out you're not going to enjoy life. And to me, some indicators, and once again, I'm not judging anybody in any way, shape, or form, but if you're in a job where you're starting to have health conditions, you're starting to have low energy, you notice that you're drinking or sedating more and, and things like that, that's probably a good indicator that you need to find another job or start enjoying your job more because those are all signs that you are not enjoying what you do. So, so to me, it's you really need to find what your purpose is. I truly truly believe that my purpose is to end suffering in cyberspace, is to make cyberspace safe. So mm -hmm. to me, when I get in stressful situations, I'm like, this is why I'm here. And, and I enjoy it. I smile. It doesn't bother me. And it actually energizes me and keeps me moving forward. But I know other folks that it drives them nuts. After a stressful day, they're going to go and smoke and drink and do all that. And I'm like, listen, you need to find another job because no pun intended, and I hate to use the word, but it's true. This job is killing you. It, right. it is literally killing you. And if you stay here, you're not going to make it 15 years. So you really got to look at it and say, okay, are you doing cyber because it's good money? Or are you doing cyber because you really enjoy it? It's your purpose and it energizes you. Right. And I think that's one thing. I mean, it's an amazing career when it comes to the benefits of it. But you gotta love it. I mean, I, when people ask me about should I get into cybersecurity, it's the the first question I ask is, do you love it? Is this something you wake up wanting to do, or is it because you want a paycheck? If you want a paycheck, then you need to go to another career. If you love doing this, it's because one, as all of us know, education. You're a student of cybersecurity constantly. You never stop educating. The level of stress when something goes wrong, they're on you. System's not working. We're getting hacked. Guess what, CISO? What happened? What's going on? What's the, you know, the pressure's on you, but you need to protect our company. 
So you have to have that drive that, okay, let me look at it versus, oh, oh my God, this is, whew, this is too much work. I, yeah. I need to go home. Right. So now I, I got a question for you. Cause I know we got that giveaway going, tell me a little bit about your book. I know you got this book that you're launching. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so this is my eighth book and, and, and it took me about eight times to finally get it right. So my, my first six books were all cybersecurity focused. So my first book, Hackers Beware, I'm like, okay, we need to understand the threats and know how hackers work and know how the offense operates. And okay, but, but not really that, but we really need to know the defense better. So then I wrote one on defensive advanced persistent threat. And I'm like, no, we really need to know the basics. So then I built Network Security Bible and did a couple of versions of that. And I'm like, okay, but then three years ago, I said, wait a second, the problem isn't that we don't have enough technical people. The problem is that non-technical people don't understand cybersecurity. So my seventh book that I did two years ago was Online Danger, which was for parents, teachers, and non-technical folks to really keep their families safe. And while that helped save a lot of lives and got a lot of great reviews, what I realized is that still wasn't the problem. The problem is executives at companies don't understand cybersecurity because we're not speaking their language. They want to. When I talk to CEOs and COs, they're like, Eric, I wish somebody could speak English to me. I want to understand at a strategic level what's going on with cyber, what is real, what's not. I watch the news, but we know that that is grades of truth and not necessarily reality. I want somebody to speak English and tell me what the real issue and the real problem is. And that's exactly what this book does. And it's cyber crisis and the tagline is protecting your business from the real world threats in the virtual world. And that's what I tried to do is really a non-technical, easy read that executives can understand so they can start recognizing, incorporating, and taking cybersecurity seriously. Now, what we do, guys, just so you know, everyone's watching right now, we actually have a giveaway going on right now in the chat. So check out the chat. Make sure you took, uh, you look at that. You're going to give two books away. Is that right, Dr. Cole? Yeah, and and, I, and and this is one where I'm, I always push the envelope. These are actually uh, pre-release copies. So so these are really meant for media and for uh, long sales and executives and things like that. But I had two left over after we did the mailing today to all the news channels and everything else. So I'm like, what am I going to do with these two books? And Brandon, I love him. He's like, dude, you want to give away a book? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. So, so you, you guys just have to keep it on the download that I'm giving away the pre-release because I'm really not supposed to do this, but I, I want to get it in your hands. And the only, only deal that we have is I just want some feedback. If you've applied for the book, there's two rules. You got to read it. Sorry, three rules. You got to read it. You got to give me feedback and you got to pass it on to somebody else after you read it. So if you're not willing to read it, don't participate. If you're not willing to give me feedback, don't participate. If you're not willing to give it on to somebody else, don't participate. But those are the only three rules. Nice. You know, so you want them to pass it on. Yes. I, I have a Kindle for when I travel, but I like buying physical books. And after I read a book, one of my most exciting things is who do I know that would benefit from this? And I give the book away. I love, because why should a book sit on your bookshelf collecting dust once you've got usefulness out of it? So I am a huge fan of buying books, reading books, and giving books away. Wow. Interesting. I'm actually taking a speed reading course, and they're talking about with the retention. 
And it's, I think it's called the Feynman technique. So you review the, the information uh, an hour after, a week after, a quarter after, and then a year after. And if you actually have long-term memory, then you don't need that book anymore. So it's interesting that you're bringing that back. I was kind of reading that. Now, uh, you guys, again, check out the chat. Make sure you guys can, you know, get involved in this. These are great books to to have as resources so you can learn. If your your career path is CISO, this is one of the books you want to read just to understand what the conversation is, what the topic is, and really kind of get in the information. So I got another question here for you, Doctor Cole. Uh, I work in healthcare, and there is uh, there is no CISO. Would you recommend reaching out to the CIO to learn more about cybersecurity in house? Absolutely. If, if there's no CISO in your company, the best place to get experience and get a CISO is in your current company. So, so I'll, I'll sort of do a bonus on this one. If there's no CISO in your company, I definitely would go for it. If there is a CISO at your company, I would go to them and try to be deputy CISO. So always take advantage of opportunities. Just because there's a CISO there doesn't mean you can't be a deputy. But in the case of uh, there is a, there's no CISO at your current organization, honestly, what I would do first is I would go and talk to the COO or the chief legal counsel to understand the dynamics of security in the organization. I would ask them, so how does security fit? Is it viewed independent or underneath? Because here's the reason. You might have a CIO that doesn't want a CISO because security is under them and they want to control and manage it and they don't want to give up territory. So this is one of those things, not all the time, but I've seen where a very well-intentioned security person thinks they're going to the CIO for help and the CIO is basically just gathering data so they can make sure that person is never, ever successful. And that's that would be a detrimental position to be in. So there, there's no reason you can't have a mentorship with the COO, but I would find out the politics a little bit. Here's the thing, when you're getting in to a chief position, a CISO, CIO, or any of those, there is politics involved with it. It is going to get political. So that's one of those things, if, if you get very upset when people talk bad about you or talk behind your back or start rumors or, or things like that, and that stuff stresses you out, stay in a security engineer. Because when you get into business and you get into executive level position, unfortunately, there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of stuff that goes on there. And you just got to ignore that stuff, stay focused on what you're doing, but you also have to be aware of it. So what I would recommend is talk to a COO first, figure out where the landmines are, and then put together a plan of whether it makes sense to talk with the CIO and get them as a partner. Or you might decide that the CIO is going to be an adversary to you getting that position, and that's okay, but then you treat them that way. But I would gather a little more information before going blind to the CIO because you don't know their intentions. Okay. Now, one of the questions just came up was, how do you learn to navigate these politics? Uh, you get punched in the face a few times. Uh, <laughs> okay. so, so it's, it's like, how, how do you become a good boxer? right? You, you get hit a few times. How, how do you become a good racer? You fall down a lot of times. I used to do triathlon racing and I did it for a while. And honestly, I just got bored with it. So I like lifting weights now. But one of the jokes that we always had is when you were getting ready for a race, the morning of the race, and you line your bikes up, you could tell who the seasoned riders were. 
because the really seasoned professional athletes, their bikes were all scratched and banged up. The folks that had the brand new bikes with no scratches or nothing, you were like, those are the newbies and right, you sort of stay away from them because the question is this, how fast can you take a turn on your bike? The only way you know is you take a turn and you don't fall over. Okay, you take it a little faster, a little faster. Well, at some point, you're going to fall over and go, oh, I guess that was too fast. Slow it down a little bit. But the only way you know is by pushing the limits and actually crashing. You have to crash and make mistakes in order to learn. So it's going to be the same thing. When I first got in to being a chief information security officer, oh, I stepped in it a lot of times. And I, but, but that's how you learn. You, you go in. And I remember one of the first meetings, there was a vice president that was acting really nice to me before the meeting. And then in the meeting, he was like, hey, Eric, why don't you do that? And he was essentially setting me up because he knew that my opinions were different than the CEOs. And he didn't tell me and he encouraged me. So basically in that meeting, I got slammed pretty hard by the executives. And I walked out of there and I'm like, I guess I thought that guy was my friend, but okay, I need to be more careful. Lesson learned, right? And you learn the lesson. So some things you can learn from books, some things you can learn from mentorship, and some things like politics, you learn just by getting beat up, cut up, and stepping in and you just sort of, and, and that's why experience matters. That's why a CISO that's been doing it for 20 or 30 years matters because they've made all the mistakes. And that's what my students tell me that I coach. I have a coaching program for CISOs. And I ask them after the program, I said, what did you like the most about coaching? They go, Eric, you made the mistake so we didn't have to. You, you basically told us what was going to happen if we continued down a path and that it was going to end badly. So we learned from your mistakes. So some of it is just, you can't be afraid to make mistakes. You can't be afraid for things to go wrong. And you just shake it off and get back up again and try again. Well, I mean, that's great advice. I mean, also I want to add into that is like, like you said, having the right mentor, right? Yeah. That's good. Like, like you said, you got a course coming up that people can go and take. Uh, it's a CISO course. That's the mentorship will kind of walk you through the bottlenecks, the mind, mind lines, how to work through that. But also on top of that, make sure you have a good support network. Like people that you can go talk to after because we all have bad days, you know, and having that outlet of not only working out, eating healthy, but someone you can talk to about your day and kind of go through what happened. You can debrief. A lot of successful people actually write journals, right? They actually write journals and they debrief all that what's in their head at the end of the day and just kind of let it out, right? And the other thing is learn how to communicate. I think that was one of the key things I had. I actually started taking a negotiation course. Right. Uh, Chris Voss has one, never split the difference and you can take his books and all that, but learning how to properly negotiate through any of these helps you to leverage your communication, but also understand that the team, the counterparts and people in the office so that you don't step into it so that you understand where they're coming from. You don't say things that are out of context when they are thinking something else. So those are keys that I I've learned through my experience of, you know, networking, communicating, working with CISOs is, you know, you really want to be able to communicate and articulate in a, in a very professional way, but you're negotiating a lot of things, time, budget, resources, technology, you know, you, the, the organization and company. So those are some recommendations on top of, you know, the great advice Dr. Cole was giving. 
And, and I just want to go on that because what Brandon just gave you was solid gold is, as I will tell you, I turned 51 this year. And when I look back, all problems, not some, all problems in any area of my life, whether it's in personal, relationship, marriage, kids, work, executives, every single problem I've had in my life is caused by a lack of or failure to communicate effectively. If you are an effective communicator, you can not only accomplish anything, but you can get people to follow you, listen to you, and move things forward. And I think that's a huge problem because a lot of technical people think they're better communicators than they really are. I can't tell you how many times I sit in meetings where a CISO presents a disastrous meeting to the executives because they didn't communicate at all. It was all about them and technology. And I walk out of the meeting with them. I'm like, how do you think it went? And they're like, dude, I owned it. I crushed it. I was the mess. And I'm like, dude, you owned belly flopping. You, you, you own the master of this. I said, that was awful. I said, you did not effectively communicate at all. So as Brandon said, pay close attention to that because if you're not getting what you want, if people are not writing you the checks or giving you the resources, there's one reason and one reason alone, and it's because you are not doing well on the communication piece. Now, one thing I actually learned in negotiation was it was a hard thing to, to, to assimilate for myself was I did not matter. In any negotiation, any conversation, what I thought or what I felt did not matter. It was all about the individual that I'm talking to what yep. their concerns are, what their needs are, what their wants are, what they're thinking, what their ideas are. When I understood that, the conversations went so much better versus me trying to enforce what I thought, what I think was good, because they might have a whole different perception or they might have a, a whole different kind of objective of what they need to work on. And me coming and forcing that on them, they're like, no, 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 no. That's not what we need to do. I, I'm out. I don't want to do this. And you're like, but what happened? I don't know. Versus when I went now to learn this going, you know, Dr. Cole, what do you need? How can I help you? What's going on with your business that you yeah. think that's a risk? I think these are risks. And how important is that for us to protect? You know, where's the revenue models? Where's this? And they'll come back with that. And then you're like, okay, now I understand Dr. Cole versus me enforcing. Well, you run a manufacturing business. So you need to kind of have ISO 27001. You need to have this. You need to have that. And they're like, I don't need that. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. So I think that's, you know, the conversation we're having now. We've got a 10 minute war. We've got a couple more questions I want to get to. So just two quick things on that, Brandon, because I think it's really important. So one oh. is uh, from Brian Tracy is the way you get what you want is help other people get what they want. So, so often it's all about me, 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 what I want, want, I, 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 and it, that doesn't work. But if you get on a call and you're all about how can I help you, what do you want and help them get that, that's what it makes all the difference. And then the other advice that Chris Voss actually gave me personally is he looked at me one time and he goes, Eric, do you want to be right or do you want to win? And, and it, it took me a second to process it. And they said, what do you mean? He goes, Eric. You have to convince the world that you're right. So you will argue with people over stupid, ridiculous things because you have to prove to them you're right. But if your objective is just to get a position or get a budget, who cares if you're right? If your goal is to have a happy marriage, who cares if you're right? 
I'll lose every fight with my wife, but if it's a happy marriage, who cares? I got what I wanted, right? If you get the budget from your executives, who cares if you're right, if you're getting what you wanted? So just always differentiate what is the objective that you're trying to achieve and stop trying to be right and argue over silly things that don't matter. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. So uh, next question we have, do you see a future for companies to specialize in providing services that a CISO would provide similar to the difference of in-house law lawyers or uh, versus law firms? Absolutely. It's called vCISO, uh, virtual CISO or vCISO services. It is a huge area right now because what has happened is it's sort of the perfect storm. With the epidemic that happened over the last 12 months, companies weren't really focused on security. They ignored security, and it was right because it was survival. They had to survive and focus on what was needed to be done to support the remote workforce. Then they recognized they need help with security. But in most organizations today, most of the technology is in the cloud or run by IT. So most security officers today don't have a big team because they're not running the firewall, they're not running the IDS, they're not doing that. So many companies, they need folks between five to 20 hours a week to provide strategy, oversight, and validation and metrics, but they do not want a full-time person and they want somebody who has exposure to other companies so they can bring more to the organization. So yes, that's called a vCISO offering. Typically, it's not perfect math, but usually what it comes down to is for about every hour that you provide a week, it's about $1,500 to $2,000 retainer. So if I have a vCISO gig where I'm going in and I'm giving the company three to four hours a week, that's going to be about a 5K retainer. If I'm giving them seven or eight hours a week, then I'm going in doing a 10K. So this is something where an individual, if you want to work 40 hours, you can get about 40K a month of retainer. So you have about a 500K salary just being individual. Or if you're a company, you're going to pay that person a really good visa. So you're going to pay about two, 225 salary. And they're going to be able to bill out at about 500. So you're making about 50% margins on them, which is sort of some basic math on that. So, you know, that's a huge area that if you're looking at either individually starting your own company or going into a consulting type agreement, vCISO is a big area and there's a huge need with companies. Awesome. Okay. So we have time for one more question. Um, let me go. I think this is actually a good one. How do you approach people who think you're an imposter? I'm pretty sure you're facing a lot of people who don't understand the importance of the communication you're implemented. Uh, how good uh, will be the relation you build for yourself, but the good, the good of the company? So, so, so this might seem like crazy advice, but, but for whoever answered that question, anyone else who thinks that other people think they're an imposter, what I want you to do is right after the show, I want you to go in front of a mirror and I want you to look yourself in the eyes and 10 times in a row say, I am awesome in a world-class CISO. I am awesome in a world-class CISO. I am awesome in a world-class CISO. Here's the reason. That's an internal issue. Nobody thinks you're an imposter. You think you're an imposter and that's the problem. If you're going in and you have security knowledge and you make a difference and you believe in yourself, you are helping the company. And like I said, I've never ever seen other people think someone imposter. Every time I'm coaching a CISO and they tell me that, Eric, 
people are going to think I'm an imposter or people are going to find out I'm a fraud or this or that. And I talk to all their coworkers. They're like, no, he needs some self-confidence or she needs some self-confidence. They don't really believe in themselves, but they're the only one that thinks that we all think they're great and know what they're talking about. So, so I would just be super, super careful that whenever you're thinking that you're an imposter or not good enough, that's an internal limiting belief issue. That's not external. Fix it, build up the confidence. And trust me, all those problems go away very quickly. Wow. That's awesome. Now I got one last question. I think this is a good one, especially when this day and age, when we look at work to live and you really talked about the balance, uh, this is for both yourself and myself is, uh, the work, uh, between the two of us, the work to live type or the live to work type, what type would you say would suit the, this industry or is it a mixed bag? To, to me, what it really comes down to is you have to love what you do. So, so you're really, uh, I, I always get confused with that, the live to work or work to live. I, I, I think what I'm saying is, is, is you want to live your life and enjoy every day of your life. I, I right now, I don't have to work and I don't consider myself working. Like people go, man, you work 15 hours a day. And I'm like, I don't, I love what I'm doing. And that's what my dad always taught me. If you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. So uh, to me, you need to focus in on loving what you do, whether it's, because I believe if you love mowing lawns, I have a friend of mine that owns a landscaping business that makes $8 million a year because he loves what he does. If you love what you do, you can make a ton of money. The problem that people do is they focus on money. When money drives decisions, you never make enough and you're always miserable. If you follow the passion of, I love doing this so much, the money always follows and the money always comes. So I would go in and say, to be wildly successful, to be a world-class chief information security officer, make sure you focus on what you love. Don't worry about the money. The money will come when you make a difference in the world. So I have a little, a little bit of a different perception because that work to live, live to work, and especially IT guys, and we all know this, where they get into the job, they start really kind of living to work and they study, they work long hours, they eat crappy food. And also what happens, as you know, burnout happens and they start getting overweight, they start having health problems and it starts to evolve. If you want to be successful in the industry, you got to work to live, right? And what you got to do is like Dr. Okay. Cole does is set up the schedule. Take care of yourself first in the morning. If that's working out, eating right, hydrating, doing all that first. Right. And then doing your work and setting it, scheduling it, scheduling your work, scheduling some study time because you're going to always constantly be studying and make sure you do that so you can enjoy your life, that you take breaks, you take time off, you enjoy family, you enjoy friends, you do all that because you will burn out if you don't. Right. And I've seen I, yeah, that. I think I mixed up the term. So I'll say what Brandon said. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen that. Like I've been, yeah. when, I, when for me, uh, I was in holistic lifestyle coaching for quite, quite some time for six years. And I saw the burnout rate for oh, especially yeah. high executives, it people that didn't take care of themselves just because the pressure got so on. And it, as you know, it can be like quicksand. There's always one more thing. There's always one more thing to do. Well, if you don't t put you, yourself first, those one more things now become 20 more things. And it's almost like having a weight on you and you just get dragged down. Spot on. Awesome. So I'm going to put, yeah, I got actually on here. Uh, I've got, if anyone wants to connect with Dr. Cole, uh, check him out on LinkedIn. Here's his link as well. Uh, also you got your course. Uh, can they visit that on your website? 
Yeah, if you just go to secure-anchor.com slash CISO, just put a slash C-I-S-O at the end of that. Or I'm very open. My email address is ecole, E-C-O-L-E, at secure-anchor.com. So E-C-O-L-E at secure-anchor.com. Just email me and my team will get back to you. And I'd love to jump on a call with you and see if we can help you out. Awesome. Well, Dr. Cole, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was awesome to have you here. If you just want to wait, I'm going to put you in the lobby for a second, and then we're just going to close out the show. Sounds good. Wow, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that show. Hopefully you enjoyed the stream, all the information. Uh, congratulations to the guys who won. Uh, it's uh, P4R4NO0IR, and I think it's Mertzen. Uh, won the books. I'm going to work with Dr. Cole to get, make sure that we get those books out to you. Uh, and if you guys have any questions, please let me know uh, through the next streams, anything along that line. Uh, go to Dr. Cole's website. Ask him lots of questions. He's an amazing mentor when it comes to CISO, cybersecurity, what's going on in the industry. A lot of resources, a lot of videos too on his YouTube channel. Everything that's going on there. I uh, just want to let you guys know that Neil will be uh, on at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, and his co-host will be Jeff uh, Goals talking about the latest in cybersecurity news, and they'll be dissecting a penetration testing report and talking about executing reporting. So stick around. I know it's going to be in the next hour, uh, so stick around. Check that out. I want to thank Neil. I want to thank you guys for coming out. Uh, this is amazing to have you guys part of the, the community and I hope you guys are learning so much information that you guys are going to be able to be able to apply like immediately leave this show, be able to start applying into your career, in your job, what you're doing and evolve into cybersecurity. And I just want to remind you guys, just don't forget software's hackle being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you next daily cyber.